All right, welcome to Political as Heck, the podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. This is a very special edition. This is our legislative preview for the legislative session of 2022. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler, as usual. But that's not all. Today, we want to welcome two special guests, the legislature's newest member, Representative Karen Peterson. Welcome, Karen. Thank you so much. Along with House uh, Democratic Minority Leader, Representative Brian King. Welcome, Brian. Thank you. Good to be with you. Yeah, thank you both for joining us today. Um, before we get started, would you mind telling us just a little bit about yourselves, a little bit maybe about your district that you represent, or maybe your history in, in public service? Karen, uh, let's start with you. I know this isn't your, I know this is your first legislative session as a legislator, but it's not your first rodeo with this process, right? No, it is not. In fact, my first session was 2001. Uh, I worked for the House as an intern way back then. And um, in fact, when I, um, they were setting up my email, they had still held my email address. So I have my original wow. email address from 20 years ago, <laughs> back again. Who, who did you work for, Karen? I worked for um, Craig Butters, who's now our Ag uh, Executive Director here in the state, and Lorraine Pace. Uh, I was a Utah State student, so uh, both from Cache Valley. So it's been a long, it's been a while uh, on the Hill. Then I did, um, you know, had some kids and was home with them for a little bit. I uh, was on the state PTA's uh, executive team for a while. Then I went to work for Governor Herbert as the deputy education advisor. And then at the end of his term, I was his education advisor. And then I stayed on with the Cox administration and I was the director of legislative affairs. And if that wasn't enough balls in the air, I also served uh, at the same time on my city council here in Clinton. Um, for two terms. So when uh, Representative Ray left the legislature um, a little abruptly, um, he gave me a call and said, I, I think you should put your name in and, and um, serve our community again. So I did and won in a special election last month. So it's been a wild, a wild month to say the least. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. That's a great story. And sounds like you're exactly what we need in the legislature so we'll find out won't we <laughs> yes we will all right brian can i kick it to you tell us a little about yourself i know most people probably know all yeah, kinds but, of things about you but i think this is the first time we've met though uh brian king's my name i am the uh representative from house district 28 that's um the northeast part of uh salt lake county salt lake city everything north of i-80 everything east of 13th East, Immigration Canyon, a little bit of Summit County. I'm the only member of the uh, House um, in, the, in Salt Lake County who, uh, whose boundaries exceed, extend outside Salt Lake County up in the summit. Mm. Um, I'm also a lawyer in my real life. I represent folks who've had denied life and health and disability claims. I sue insurance companies, which means I sleep better than 99% of the people out there. <laughs> um, I'm also the leader of the House Democratic Caucus, done that for seven years now, and uh, um, have, I was originally elected in 2008, and so this is my, boy, what is it? This will be my 14th session. Wow, cool. It's my 11th. Wow. 11th. A I, couple I of old-timers. was only three years ahead of me, so... All right, so I want to give uh, each of you the chance to share your priorities in just a minute and give us some, you know, background on the bills that you plan to run. But let's start first with what you see as the overall top issues for the legislative session. We know, I mean, Governor Cox has put forward several of his priorities, including the grocery tax credit, affordable housing, and restoration of Great Salt Lake, just to name a few from his budget. Are those the issues that you see guiding this session? Are there others that you think 
We'll, well I'll, I'll jump in. I, you know, I've never seen the Great Salt Lake on the agenda before, and I think it's near the top. And so I think that that is different. We're also, um, you know, we only got half the stimulus money from COVID last year. So, you know, we have a couple hundred extra million dollars to spend. Um, and, um, you know, and the economy uh, in Utah, knock on wood, is, is doing well. And so I think this is one of those sessions that, you know, there is a lot of money to spend, which means everyone comes out of the woodwork, you know, with their handout, but uh, sometimes it's easier when we don't have any money because then you can just say no to everyone. So I think those are obviously COVID um, and we've had some, you know, with this Omicron spike, we're going to have to readdress the um, test to stay, which was my brilliant bill from a year ago that worked pretty well for about 10 months and is not working at all now because we're just overwhelmed. So those are a few of my thoughts. I don't know, Karen, Brian, if you guys, one of you wants to pick up, Karen. Uh, well, I, I would say, you know, those things that you mentioned, um, I, I think I think that there is um, definitely an interest in a tax cut, but I also think that there's some uh, healthy reservation on what that looks like because so much federal funds have come into our economy. It's hard to know what's real. Uh, it's also hard to know what that looks like as those funds, um, you know, get utilized and, and pushed into the economy, what that looks like a year or two down the road. So I, I think that... Um, that you know, the legislature has already set aside 160 million uh, for a tax cut. I think I think that will happen. I, I don't know exactly how that will look yet. I think there's still a number of ideas on the table on how on how those funds um, you know come back to Utahns. But I um, I do think that there's also some hesitancy as people watch inflation and and still know how much of this uh, GDP in Utah's federal funds. Brian, what do you think? Yeah, no, I I, I actually think that the governor. Um, I'm sure it was with Karen's help that the governor put together some legislative priorities that were really great. I mean, I, I like very much the idea of putting GSL on there, Great Salt Lake on there as a priority. I had an interesting conversation with the speaker uh, over the summer. I had heard something about um, the Great Salt Lake being a, in dire straits and uh, a number of people had been talking about it uh, last year, but I went to him and I said, I want to tell you this, I really am concerned about this. And he said, I am very concerned about it. And he has let out on this along with the governor. A lot, a lot of people have become more sensitized to it, rightly so. So I'm, I think that we are going to see some action because the governor's talking about it. Our legislative leadership, at least in the house is talking about it. I think president Adams is probably concerned about it. Um, it's, it's something that we need to address. And part of that is making sure that as much water as we can get going into the Great Salt Lake gets there as opposed to being diverted for other uses. So we'll see how that works out. I like uh, the grocery, I, I like the governor's focus on trying to get relief in the form of increased revenue and less of a burden for those who are struggling to literally put food on the table. I'm not at all sure that a grocery tax is the best way to, or that a grocery credit is the best way to do it. Uh, simply because the people who need it the worst are not going to be in a position to easily or readily or right. likely take advantage of going in and filing a tax return once a year. They need the uh, income immediately. And the most efficient way of delivering that relief, I think, would be to just eliminate the sales tax and then uh, make an adjustment on income tax to make sure that those who don't need uh, a tax cut for their groceries uh, can have it recaptured in their uh, income tax. We could do that easily enough. But I like that. I like affordable housing money. I think that's critically important. One of the other things that uh, the governor talked about was clean air issues. And 
he also spoke about uh, resources for mental health. One of the things that this pandemic has really revealed to not just Utahns, but to the entire country is the dearth of resources, the need for greater resources for mental health and substance use disorders. And I've got a couple of bills to address that myself, but I think that those are all really good uh, priorities. Uh, we'll certainly be talking about tax cuts and um, I, I share Representative Peterson's concerns when you're talking about tax cuts that are built on the back of one time uh, money from the federal government in terms of how flush we are in our with our revenue situation, we've got to be careful. And so I'm a little more skeptical of tax cuts than a lot of folks in the legislature. And I certainly think what tax cuts we do put through, if we put through any at all, ought to be really targeted and geared toward uh, assisting those who need it the most. And um, Corey, I was just going to point out that the $160 million tax cut that Karen mentioned and the grocery tax credit that Brian mentioned, these are two elements of the tax reform package that the legislature passed two years ago that got subject to the referendum because of the sales tax on food. Um, and, you know, when when we repealed that, which was the right thing to do at the time, um, that, you know, we threw out some good stuff with some of the stuff that was objectionable. And so I think you're seeing some of what I'm calling the good stuff kind of creeping back in um, this year because th those were policy decisions that the legislature, at least the Republicans, already adopted. And Brian, I want to, this is really inside baseball, a little bit nerdy stuff, but I noticed about four years ago, and I think you'll know what I'm talking about. We showed up for the session and I found out that in December's executive appropriation meeting, two months before the session started, that the executive appropriations had already made a bunch of um, decisions that were now kind of binding on the legislature that first week of the session. And it, it seems like they've done it every December for, uh, since then. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, so, I know that we did it just a couple of years ago, some education funding issues. Yeah, but, but you did it this past year too, didn't you? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. We did some things this past year. Yeah. Uh, largely it was because mm -hmm. of that, some of those federal funds that came in. Yeah. But that's, that's one of the things that, you know, Utah is an interesting state. It's one of the few states that may be the only state in the country where every legislator has a role in putting together the budget. We don't have a Ways and Means Committee in the same way that the House of Representatives and Congress, which is the tax committee, and that's the committee you want to be on if you want to talk about putting together the budget and how we, where the money comes from and where it uh, goes to. Not so true in Utah. Every legislator sits on uh, an appropriation subcommittee, but it is true, as you're saying, uh, Senator Weiler, that what we're talking about in the Executive Appropriations Committee is the members of the leadership for both the House and the Senate on both sides of the aisle. It's 20 people. You have eight Democrats, you have 12 Republicans, and there are recommendations made uh, from EAC, sometimes, as you're saying, Todd, that sort of come from within EAC and don't come up through the appropriations subcommittees. Yeah. yeah. And that's and what that happens. The starting point for the session. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no. Once, once that happens, it's tough. I mean, everybody sort of looks at it and says, oh, okay, well, this is what we're going to do the first or second week of the session is yeah. what EAC approved in December. And you're right. I mean, that happens. Um, I mean, you know, I've been on EAC for many years now. We try and do the best job we can. We certainly are relying on our legislative fiscal analyst office. Sometimes there are decisions that really sort of need to be made. But you're right that the table is set to a degree in those late fall and early winter meetings in EAC 
for the rest of the next year's session yeah. that um, can make a big difference. You're absolutely and I'm not right. suggesting it's a bad thing. I'm suggesting it's a relatively new thing um, that yeah. kind of happened without a lot of fanfare. And now it's kind of become the, the new precedent. The other thing I was going to say, Corey, is um, Brian mentioned affordable housing. And uh, I said this on another podcast uh, last week. I'm going to repeat it. We cannot, the legislature cannot throw enough money to make housing affordable. But what we can do is make sure that home builders and developers have uh, incentives in place to, to build high density housing that ostensibly would be more affordable than like a single family home on a quarter acre lot or something like that. Well, and the other issue there is it's not just the funding, but it's it's bringing the public along. I, I will tell you, just watching the city council race in my town. So I, I live in Clinton, uh, Northern Davis County. One candidate ran on pictures of um, apartment complexes and said, if you want this, don't vote for me. Right. So there's a sentiment in some of our communities that this doesn't fit. Um, and and we we've got to bring the public along because at the same time, members of the public will tell you and, and residents in my district told, have told me repeatedly, I'm worried my grandkids and kids will have nowhere to live, but I don't want a high rise apartment. Right. Not and so, right. It's, it's this balancing yeah. though, that, that um, it, it's, so it's not all about just the funding really. It's about bringing along um, our local government. So that they think about that with zoning and general plans and, and how they work through that, how they can, um, maybe see the vision of, of kind of the missing middle housing and how that can fit in our communities that maybe haven't in a way that that their residents understand how that can play a role uh, in, in kind of addressing this. Mm -hmm. We've been talking about a lot of budget things, which uh, I always tell people um, it's kind of like the magician, you know, they don't, they, they don't, you know, watch this hand, don't watch this other hand. And the hand that the media, uh, the local media is always watching is the, the bills, especially the controversial bills. But the, the real important thing that we do every year is actually pass the budget. And it's gonna probably yeah. be a $24 billion budget this year. But I would be interested, Brian and Karen, what some of your, uh, what your priority bills are or topics or issues. Well, I've got a number of bills. One is um, I had the folks at the Rocky Mountain Innocence Project come to me and say, could you do something to help Utah join the mainstream of states across the country in preserving forensic and biological evidence that can be used to either so solve cold cases or um, exonerate individuals who claim that they were wrongfully convicted or prove that they were not wrongfully convicted, they were rightfully convicted. Um, because what happens now in Utah, there's no uh, statute in place to ensure that that evidence is preserved for either the time that a person who's been convicted of a felony remains in prison or uh, the time that a case that has not been solved remains open. So uh, I've been working with prosecutors and with um, the sentencing commission here and uh, CCJJ, the Commission on uh, Criminal and Juvenile Justice in the state of Utah, which is a, one of our executive department branch agencies, and law enforcement and uh, criminal defense lawyers and prosecutors to come up with something that addresses that need. And I think it's just win, 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 because you're going to solve more cold cases this way. You're also going to be able to allow individuals who claim to be wrongfully uh, convicted uh, to prove or, or have their case proven out one way or the other. 
And so it'll be something that I hope uh, gets through, but that's an important uh, bill, I think. I've got a couple of other bills dealing, as I mentioned before, about uh, expanding the uh, mental health resources for individuals. Um, right now, uh, there is a public employer opt-out for uh, complying with the Federal Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act. And a number of public employers in the state of Utah have uh, taken advantage of that and said, we're not going to comply with uh, the Mental Health Parity Act. And the result is that there are some real gaps in what sort of resources are available for employees and their family members in terms of being able to have coverage for pretty basic uh, mental illness uh, treatment resources and substance use disorder treatment resources. So that's an important bill, I think. And uh, my last one probably is uh, I've got an expanded background check bill. I've run a couple of years in the past. This is the, I, I can't, I don't, I mean, I know at some level why this bill doesn't pass the same reason it doesn't pass Congress, even though literally 90% of Utahns and 90% of U.S. citizens say, yeah, let's put in place reasonable background checks so that people who would all agree shouldn't get, have guns. Like, for example, this individual who was, we were just talking earlier about the shooting out at Hunter High. That was a 14-year-old who uh, had that gun. How did that 14-year-old get that gun? I don't know. And it may be that an expanded background check wouldn't have addressed that situation, but uh, we want to do more, I think. We should be doing more to ensure that individuals who are either too young or have a criminal record uh, uh, shouldn't be getting guns because they're on the prohibited list. So, um, and I have a number of other bills, but that's all that we need to know about here. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how far that one last one goes. But the, no, there you go. Personal like gun bill, a gun Good bill. Luck. So, Karen, in <laughs> your ten days, have you come up with any bills to run? Well, I only get two. You know, legislators get about four priority bills. Uh, when you come in this late, they only give you the ones uh, that the dates still are ahead of you. So I only get two. Um, so it doesn't give me a lot of time to do um, too much, but I, I actually do have used both of my priority bills. Um, so the first one is going to be related to the school readiness program. So that's an existing preschool program we have in the state that helps uh, private and public providers uh, with preschool. One of the issues is we allow um, if you work for a private provider, they you have a year to get certified to be a preschool teacher. If you work for one of our school districts, you have to have your certification at the point of hire. Well, the problem is that doesn't give them the opportunity to say, hey, this person would make a great preschool teacher. Let's hire them and get them certified like we do with private preschools. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So we're just going to uh, level that out. So it's the same for public and private providers. We need, we need good quality uh, early learning in our state and uh, the more we can expand that capacity, I think it helps families out. So I have that bill. And then a second one related also to education with a background in education, then you have lots of ideas on that in that space. But um, so uh, right now, currently, if you're a foster family and the, the children that are um, living in your home that are foster children, um, they can't necessarily enroll in the same school as your kids if your kids are in a charter school. Um, we've already required district schools to enroll, um, you know, any student in that household, but charter schools, because of the way um, we have eligibility preferences lined out in code, we really haven't given charter schools the authority to um, let those kids that are living in a household um, with a foster family just kind of um, jump in line, I guess I would say, and let them be enrolled at the, the time that the parents, uh, foster parents request. So we know best case scenario is, is our kids in foster care stay in their existing school. If that's not 
feasible. Um, the next best, best scenario could be that they attend with the other kids living in their household for just some continuity in their lives and, and uh, built in community. So to, to Bill's, I don't think anything as controversial as Representative King's taking on this session, but hopefully some fixes that are good for families. I, I have Todd. I, I, I'm, yeah. so, I'm so pleased that you're coming on with this education background because we can always use good education bills. And I wanted to ask you, one of the things that we um, hear about is that there is going to be some, there are going to be some bills run dealing with like portable uh, funding for children. And basically some people are concerned that it's uh, just vouchers in another form. Do you know anything about that or can we talk I've just heard the time? rumblings you've heard, Representative King. I haven't seen any language. Um, so I think, uh, I think maybe those bills are coming uh, from our friends in the Senate, so. Okay. All right, and um, I spent a lot of last year working on bail reform, which is not a sexy topic, but we got that at least to a, um, a compromise place in our November special session. So I've turned my attention now to um, JRI, which is the Justice Reinvested Initiative. And about five years ago, we passed some major criminal justice reforms with the hopes of reducing the recidivism and um, getting addicts the treatment they need. So the focus was going to be, if you have a bad person who wants to harm your family and you know your kids, we want to lock them up and throw away the key, you know, theoretically. But if you have a relatively good person who just... Um, fell into the addiction cycle with drugs and, and other, other things. We want to we punish them for the crimes they've committed, but we want to focus on getting them um, the therapy and the counseling that they need to get them back in the home, back in their jobs, paying their mortgage, you know, raising their kids. Um, unfortunately, and I think our objectives were good ones, but unfortunately, um, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the devil's always in the details. And so now we're getting some really bad, hardened criminals who are violent, who are also addicted. And then we're, we're kind of giving them the good guy treatment. And, um, we, we, are going to try, we're going to rebalance that JRI and I'm working with Carrie Ann Lizenby and Ryan Wilcox in the house to make sure the proper incentives are there. Um, and we have some people that are foregoing drug court because it's quicker for them, you know, just to, to bypass it. And so I think we, we, we had some worthy objectives and um, the, the, the actual execution of the policy needs to be retweaked. And so that's one of my top priorities for the session. And I have an electric bike bill, but um, I've become the electric bike guy. In the so what, is, what does it mean to have an electric bike bill? Well, um, um, so some cities uh, will treat electric bikes the same as motorcycles. So they're like, well, we don't allow motorcycles on this trail. So we're not going to allow electric bikes either. Oh. And um, so I already I passed a bill five years ago that tried to address that. And now we're going to pass another one. But I've, I've been working with the industry all fall on this. and I think it'll be a good consensus bill. But not all electric bikes are equal. And so we're, we're going to categorize them by wattage and things. I just bought an electric bike for my wife for Christmas. And uh, I've had one for several years. So um, they're, they're great, by the way. I'm, I'm a big electric bike proponent. My, my dad's in your neck of the woods, and he's an electric bike rider, too. So yeah. his, his thanks through me to you for that. So uh, in the last couple of minutes that we have here, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't identify maybe one or two. What do we think are going to be the the controversy du jour? I mean, are we are we going to have a vote count my vote redux? Are we going to have a uh, a Brian King um, 
gun bill? I mean, what, what do we expect is going to... One rise? of the most controversial bills coming into the session is Melissa Ballard's proposal to change the way that uh, state school board members are selected from an election to an appointment. And she's getting a lot of criticism. Um, and I think it'll be tough to to get the people to vote to take away power from themselves because this just goes against human nature. But, you know, every governor runs on education. People look to the governor um, for education. And yet the governor really does not have um, a real role in education. So I think that she's, I think that her objectives are pure. I think she wants to give it, give the governor some responsibility over education because that's what the expectation of the public is. But I'm not sure we're going to get there in 2022. Yeah, it would, def it would take a constitutional amendment. And I, yeah, I, I don't know that that the public's there. I, even though I think that there are some legitimate concerns about um, state school board, how, how people, uh, those are difficult races to run. It's a really, really large Can't geographical area. There's yeah. no money. You're not being able to fundraise. And so it, it you really get like a small group of people that can kind of on, on both sides, it's happened on both sides um, that have kind of monopolized the, the energy and the time and got their people out. And, and then it makes for a very divisive school board that doesn't always, um, isn't always super effective. Yeah, I, that'll be an interesting topic to address. I think it's important that we address that. I think another thing that we're gonna see on this, uh, on these kinds of, um, in this legislative session, Corey, is we're gonna see, it's an election year. And I think there are some people who, want to make sure that they're well positioned to address uh, concerns among some base voters about um, cultural issues, things like uh, critical race theory and um, transgender athletics issues. I think abortion is going to be there to talk about. Um, I think that those kinds of things are troubling to me in the sense that sometimes you have, I think, people who feel strongly about trying to put together um, a message to a base based on some misinformation, quite honestly, or a perception that there's an issue out there that, I mean, critical race theory is not something that we have taught in a meaningful way from K through 12. If you want to talk about other issues in terms of how we uh, teach about history of the United States and things like that, that's one thing, but it's not critical race theory. So, um, but, but there, those things are hot topics in the sense that um, it gets people excited. And you saw uh, in the mayor or the gubernatorial election in Virginia uh, late last year, public education, those issues in the context of public education were widely thought to be one of the issues that people really voted on in Virginia. So I think that's, you're going to see some uh, issues that are controversial and that are uh, trying to split some uh, bodies about, uh, you know, how we talk about those things in terms of creating uh, hot button kinds of issues mm -hmm. and topics. And, and everyone always argues about water. That'll also be, I mean, even oh, yeah. though we're talking about generational investments and some, and some water projects, how we go about those things, it's not going to be easy. Secondary watering me metering is, isn't something that Utahns are going to jump up and down about, yeah. right? I mean, <laughs> mine got installed two months ago with, uh, you know, right. uh, I wasn't real happy about it, but it's there now. Big purple exactly. box in my front yard that I didn't want. So, yeah. well, and you have you have the water issues come into especially when you're talking about the Bear River water projects and then diverting river out or water out of the Bear River. It it runs headlong into the GSL issues, or at least it has the potential to do so. Definitely. The fact is, I mean, this is an I think it's a fascinating issue to know that 
the vast majority of water that we use in the state of Utah is not used for drinking or culinary purposes at all. It's used for agricultural purposes. Right. And then you have, and that's like 80 or 85% of our water is used for agricultural purposes. And then the, the remaining 15%, even a small percentage of that is used for culinary purposes. It's used for things like golf courses and uh, watering our lawns and things like that. So there, we, we've got to do more talk to, we've got to do more educating of people to sensitize them as to how we address the reality that we live in a desert, number one. And number two, there's more pressure than there's ever been to address uh, wise use and conservation of water. And Utahns are still using two to three times as much water per capita as all, all of our neighboring states. And so I think a lot of that is a component of education. I think if you educate people, they'll, they'll adjust their, their mm -hmm. use accordingly. So yeah. it's true. And one of the things that, I, and you know something about this, Todd, I think you ran a bill on it or something, but they, they find that people adjust their water use significantly when they do nothing, when we do nothing more than let them know, hey, we're measuring your water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not charging you more. Yeah. Just find we're, we're, we're keeping track of how much you use. People we're going to tell your neighbors. Okay. How much you use. We start getting those, those shame letters, you know, you're yeah. using this much more than your, than your neighbors, you know? Yeah. yeah. All right. I think this is uh, this is as far as we can go. Uh, we've reached the end. This has been super helpful for me. I think uh, really informative. I think folks will like it. Thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks everyone. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, thanks Corey. Corey. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. All right. On Tuesday. Yeah. Take care everyone.